You're listening to the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Yes, welcome to our June 2020 episode. I'm Tim Brunero. Well, in a big win for casual labour hire miners, the full bench of the Federal Court has ruled if it looks like a permanent job, walks like a permanent job and quacks like a permanent job, it's probably a permanent job. It's a great win for casuals. It's a really great outcome. What it does is sends the message loud and clear that casual jobs and casual rates are therefore casual work. If you're giving someone permanent work with permanent fixed hours, then you can't just pay your way out of your responsibilities. You've got a responsibility to give people the security of the entitlements that go with that. That's Labor's Industrial Relations Shadow Minister, Tony Burke. Labor hire coal miner Chad Stokes works on a pump crew at a Queensland open cut, and he's happy too. Oh, look, it's put a smile on my face. It's, I really hope that, uh, like myself and many other casual labor hire workers out in the mining industry, that we can just get just a clean, permanent um, job and just job security and, and stability is, is what we're chasing. More from Chad and Tony on that big court win in a second. But I just want to mention we had some sad news recently when we learned the phantom poet of the Kamira dispute in the Illawarra passed away at 73. Fred Love was a coal miner, unionist, poet and volunteer in the Wollongong community that he loved so much. He was the man who wrote the famous poem The Ballad of Kamira to support the 31 miners who staged a 15-day stay-in back in 1982. We'll look at that dispute a bit later, but here's a little taste just to get you in the mood. Mines on the southern fields will be closed and a section of the steel plant will be shut down while workers travel to Canberra by train tomorrow to see the Prime Minister, Mr Fraser. At a mass meeting this morning, mining union officials advocated this was the only way in which the nation would be alerted to the plight of the people of Wollongong. So this is for the fellows come here. 31 miners dug in underground and Prime Minister Fraser cannot be found. It's an incredible story. The supporters of the 31 miners all went down on a special train to Canberra and stormed Parliament House. It's a great yarn. More on that soon. But let's start with that big legal win. For years, mining companies have been replacing permanent employees with casuals from labour hire companies. Now, these casual coal miners aren't just getting a 25% loading on top of what the permanent staff employed directly by the mining company are getting. These casuals are paid much less than permanents on site agreements and they're not getting any sick leave or annual leave or any of the other entitlements mine workers have bargained for over many years. In fact, 40% of coal miners in this country are now employed as labour hire casuals, performing the same work as permanent workers but with no job security or entitlements and earning about one third less. Well, what's happening in the uh, coal mining industry and the mining industry more generally is that uh, labour hire companies are effectively providing um, cheap labour uh, to the mine operator, uh, whereby they're basing their rates of pay on the bare award minimum, um, and the mining the employees of the mine operators are generally on enterprise agreements, which have been negotiated after successive rounds of collective bargaining, going back 20 or 30 years. So, the the mine. Uh, Direct employees and the mine operator are usually on rates of pay, which are almost, you know pretty much double the award rate. And so the labour hire companies tender on 
um, the bear award rate or a bit, up, a bit above. And in, that, and in doing so, they're able to undercut um, the, the rates of pay applicable under union negotiated uh, enterprise agreements. And the poor uh, labour hire employee is working side by side with workers who are getting you know, 30, 40, $50,000 a year more than them doing exactly the same uh, job and they don't get an annual leave or personal leave. It's, it's, it's really a disgrace and that's really what's motivated the union uh, in pursuing uh, the scheme matter and also this Rosado matter in the federal court. That's National Legal Director Alex Bukaritsa. Chad Stokes lives at Gracemere, 10 k's west of Rockhampton with his wife and three kids and works at the nearby BMA Blackwater mine. Well, we're not on the same EA as a permanent bloke working beside you. We're not getting nowhere near as what a permanent's getting. You know, they could be on $65 an hour. We're not getting the, the true loading, the true casual loading of 25%. And most cases they're on six to $700 more than, than what we're on. Chad says it's not just that he's getting less money and entitlements as other workers at the mine. You're not be able to get house loans. It puts pressure on your family, uh, your wife. You just haven't got the job security, you know, to take your holidays and enjoy um, time away from work with your family. So this big legal win, which is formally called WorkPack versus Rosato, and which followed a court action in 2018 called WorkPack versus Skeen, was fought by the CFMEU on behalf of miners, but it might have implications for casuals in other industries. And this fact has been used by employer groups to whip up a scare campaign about the CFMEU's big win for its members. In many ways, this, this case, or these series of cases, are about um, truth in labelling, you know? It's all about objectively um, classifying somebody properly, um, not making up a classification that suits your um, business plan and then um, trying to make that fit into the law because that's, you know, that's not right. It's, it means that workers at the end of the day are being ripped off and they're being denied um, their entitlements. Labor's Shadow Industrial Relations Minister Tony Burke says the rorting of the casual system in the mining industry is almost incomparable to other industries like hospitality or retail. Yeah, the, um, the tests that they that they refer to um, goes to whether or not there's a firm advance commitment from the employer. Now, in this case, the firm advance commitment was a 12-month roster being given in advance. Now, you, you would be hard-pressed in retail or hospitality to find many examples of that. Uh, and yet in the mining industry, this has become common because these are not casual jobs. These are permanent jobs that the company has flicked to a labour hire company. The labour hire company is then working from a lower hourly rate, even after the casual loading's put on, and giving people a fixed 12-month roster. So, you know, if you start with the principle, is this really a casual job? Not by any definition. Not by any definition at all. But it's become a really common rot, and that is the only way to describe it, uh, in the coal industry. So, you know, if you had that same set of facts in retail or hospitality, then it would apply. But the truth is, in, you know, say retail, I've worked in retail for many years, 
you'll have people who work every Sunday, but then they'll often be asked to stay back. Sometimes when it's quiet, they'll be asked to, you know, do you mind if you go home early? Those conversations happen all the time. But some employer groups are so worried they've even called on the Morrison government to legislate to make this illegal behaviour legal by changing the law. Let's not lose sight of what happened here. Yeah, an employer broke the law. And if we're then going to rush off to the parliament to change the law to somehow make this okay after the fact, that'd be the parliament acting as a protection racket for an employer who was trying to rip someone off on their entitlements. Now, we should not be using the parliament that way at all. Um, you know, if they if they want to look at how do we how do we provide certainty, what sort of yeah, how do we put a legislative framework around the judgment, something like that is a conversation to be had. But the immediate call was to just change the law so that the employer who broke the law would be given a big tick. Well, sorry, you shouldn't be given a tick from the parliament for treating people in a way that completely undermines their entitlements and for rorting the very definition of what it is to be a casual. Alex Bukaritsa isn't sure what will happen next in the courts, but he knows what should be happening at mines across Australia right now. Obviously, uh, the option of going to the High Court's available to uh, work pack, um, and I suspect they'll, they'll um, give that a go. Um, but ultimately, I think they'll be unsuccessful. Um, they'll be unsuccessful legally, uh, I think, uh, because the judgments in the Rosado case and the Skeen case are so well um, argued and founded, and there's now been six federal court judges who've essentially come to the same uh, viewpoint. So I don't think their chances uh, are, are great, but you know the, there's always that possibility. Um, but more broadly, I think what really needs to happen is that the mining industry needs a really good shake-up and we need to go back to direct employment. We need to go back to accepting that where there's an enterprise agreement applying at a particular mine site, uh, that all workers doing work within that, uh, the scope of that agreement, whether they're employed by labour hire or with a mine operator, should get the same, same uh, pay and conditions of work. Um, you know, it's very important that we have this principle of same pay, same work. Otherwise, we end up with this situation of uh, second, uh, first and second class citizens. So uh, I hope that um, these federal court decisions have given an impetus to change in industry. Um, and we're also, um, the union that is, uh, pursuing a class action against WorkPAC uh, on behalf of hundreds of uh, existing and former WorkPAC employees, which we think will be a, also an important driver of change in the industry. Tony Burke also has a message for bosses who've been using casualisation to strip away the rights of working people over the last 30 years or so. I think the best thing that will come out of this decision is people, employers, will start with, well, the easiest thing to do is to give someone a permanent job. That'll be the starting point when they're working out how to engage someone. And that's a huge change for casual workers everywhere. Uh, because if you just start with the principle that the easiest thing to do is to give someone security, that makes a huge difference to their life, the security of their hours, knowing that they're covered if they're not well, knowing that they get annual leave, 
knowing that all the different things that come with security right through to whether or not you can get a loan, all of those challenges become better for workers simply because as a result of this case, the first thing that an employer knows is the safest thing to do to make sure you're on the right side of the law is to give someone security. That's a good outcome for every worker. But let's leave the last word on this with Chad Stokes, given he's the one living the labour hire experience. I just want to see the stability and and the job security sort of in the mining industry. So if my kids want to go to the mining industry um, in 10 years, 15 years' time, you know that they're going to be able to go to a more, like a mining job and be um, stable in, in a position. Whereas myself at the moment, we're, we're not getting that and it puts a lot of frustration on your family life because you just can't enjoy it. Um, with the bloke working beside you, he's, you know, he gets the holidays and sickies and, and the decent, decent pay in, in the mining industry. There you go. We'll be following what happens with that matter on future episodes of the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast, which incidentally is what you're listening to right now. My name's Tim Brunero. Thanks for listening, by the way. And if you like what we do, do us a favour. Head to the podcast app on your iPhone or iPad and subscribe by searching for CFMEU. That way you can get a fresh episode on your phone every month downloaded automatically. All right, well, let's go from casualisation to the gas explosion at the Grosvenor Mine in Moorumbah on May 6. Our Queensland president is Steve Smythe. We believe there's a link between certainly casual employment, the casual business model and and what's what's happened at the Grosvenor Mine in central Queensland where all the underground employees there in excess of 400 are employed on a casual basis or a subcontractor basis is, is their terms of employment. Now, from the onset, for me, it's not about the workers themselves who are casual workers or subcontractors. It's about the business model. Um, I actually will go even a step further to say that I think that casual employment in an underground coal mine creates an unacceptable level of risk because the workers won't speak up, the workers are fearful for their jobs, and there's plenty of evidence and data out there that proves it. As late as this week, I've been down underground at Grosvenor, in the crib rooms, in the long wall section where the explosion occurred, talking to workers while there's two HR people hovering around with their notepads out and one of the management from the mine um, writing everything down. Yeah, and that's obviously unacceptable, but just goes to the heart of what we've been saying about casual, casual workers who fear to speak up because of the fear of reprisal. And they might not sack you today, but they'll sack you tomorrow for something else. So we dealt with that at the time. But how do you deal with it right across a mine that's 24 seven, 365 days a year when there's no union representation or no, or no protections in the workplace. So that uh, labour hire business models have to go. And we believe, or I certainly believe, that it creates an unacceptable level of risk, particularly in the underground sector. Steve says he's still piecing together what happened that day. For every underground coal miner, this is a nightmare. Uh, being an underground coal miner myself for a long time, 33 years now, I just cannot comprehend particularly what those guys experience, particularly the five guys who receive traumatic injuries, burns, um, particularly to their upper part of their body, um, as a result of a methane explosion which occurred on the long wall face. Uh, for those that don't, don't know underground, um, you just got a picture, clearly it's dark, uh, a confined space, not confined as where you gotta crawl around, but probably four meters high, by about 20 meters wide in this area. You've had an explosion come out um, it's been horrific. They say temperatures of up around three, 350 degrees Celsius. It's engulfed the face, particularly where these five workers were, and then the effects of the shock waves, 
and the pressure have gone down along the long wall face into other areas where other workers felt it, their ears popped, they thought the ventilation had reversed. A lot of the guys thought their time was over. That's, that's serious because they, they seen a cloud of dust coming and then they thought um, there'd be flames following it. Some guys have had to hang on to some of the long wall support and long wall gear as the shockwave comes through. And then as the dust settled, literally, or was still in the air, they're hearing over the communications, people saying, help, 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 you know, and I, I just can't pay enough respect to the first responders underground that day. Them coal miners that went to work to work, not to see their workmates receive such traumatic, horrific injuries, but the efforts of the, all those guys from the, that to the first responders, to the paramedics, to the people on the service, all the way through the nurses and doctors, give these guys a fighting chance. And, and again, it goes back to underground miners having each other's back. So, you know, horrific, horrific event, um, still under investigation, but there's one thing for sure, that the risk of methane was not controlled on that day. Another number of other factors certainly were not controlled on that day, because if they were, we wouldn't have the methane explosion. And the most frightening thing about it was that methane explosion could have turned into a coal dust explosion, and the other 185 people underground on that day, lives would also have been put at risk due to this. But certainly with the five men, one has been released, uh, another four are still in hospital. Um, they continue to, to obviously um, fight, because that's all they fight, and, and, and now our thoughts and, and prayers certainly with the family and friends of those those five. And um, I've spent, as I said, a lot of time at Groven in the last few weeks, and the mindset of them workers out there is certainly not one on the job, and I'll be perfectly blunt, management knows this. Even if they find what the ignition source was, the workers there don't have no trust, no faith, and no confidence in the management of that mine. So there's got to be major change. He also welcomes the news of the new industrial manslaughter laws in Queensland. That's something that the CFMEU Mining Energy has been um, lobbying for, particularly since the last state election. Um, I personally, myself, along with um, the rest of the union executive, have been lobbying at every every opportunity to push for industrial manslaughter. We, I thought it was unacceptable, it was left out um, when they put it in the general workplace health and safety. But we certainly welcome it. We believe it lacks as the deterrent. Um, we heard a lot on the, a lot of people, particularly those in management roles and others, saying um, they don't support it, they didn't want it. At the end of the day, we've got to put a deterrent in place to protect these mine workers. And what really drove us was after two fatalities at Grass Tree some years back, and, and Anglo as a company, the same company responsible for Grosvenor, got a slap on the wrist. Um, they don't understand anything else, um, and they don't care, in my view, about how they go about their business, and, and it's been showing. But certainly we welcome industrial manslaughter. The bar is high, we hope we never have to use it because it means another worker's unfortunately lost their life and not coming home to their family and friends. But we certainly, as I said, support it, well overdue. We look forward to, to it actually starting to act as a deterrent. And it's quite simple not to ever have to have it applied. If you're a boss, do the right thing. Steve Smythe. You're listening to the June 2020 episode of the CFMEU Mining and Energy Podcast. Well, BHP got a bloody nose in court recently when the union successfully challenged their ongoing efforts to hire people with their in-house labour hire company rather than directly. More on that in a second. But speaking of BHP, back in 1982, it was about to sack thousands of steel workers and hundreds of coal miners in the Illawarra. And then 31 miners staged a stay-in at the Kimira Colliery. The community rallied behind them, and one local miner wrote a poem in support of the men, Fred Love, 
He passed away recently and we thought we'd take a look back at his life and the events of October 1982. Here's the poem he was so famous for. So this is for the fellows to be up. 31 miners dug in underground and Prime Minister Fraser cannot be found. The men get support from all over Australia but the government's weak and Fraser's a failure. The steelworkers also are facing the sack. Join together our forces. Put BHP on the rack. We must take some action and jobs we all need and stop this big company raping Australia for greed. So workers of Wollongong, we must all unite. Back up 31 miners for showing some fight. Barry Swan, who was General Secretary of the Miners' Federation at the time of the dispute, sets the scene. The problem for steel and coal employees at BHP ARS in 1982 was that BHP was divesting its interest in steel production and going into oil exploration. As a consequence, they had less need for coal, which is essential in the making of steel. So they started to retrench thousands of steel workers and hundreds of coal miners, both in the Illawarra and in Newcastle. And that was the atmosphere that the Kamira stay-in strike of October 1982 occurred. So, 31 local miners took matters into their own hands. Well, the uh, the 31 miners at Kamira, they decided uh, on their own initiative and without telling anybody to undertake an underground stay-in strike. And, uh, and that's what they did. They planned for it and they went in and they stayed in for, for 14, 15, I think it came out on the 15th day. But that's, they went in and that's where it all started and that's where I saw the community of the Illawarra come together as I've never seen it uh, since the 1968 massive bushfires in this region. Barry arrived at the mine at midnight before even the mine superintendent had got there and over the next 24 hours he watched as the community rallied to the cause. Within hours of the, the men taking the action there was a mass meeting at the gates of the mine and. Uh, and the people of Wollongong took over the pit top. And within three hours, uh, Sally Bowen, the Southern District Miners Auxiliary led by Sally Bowen, had set up a field kitchen. Local shops had heard of what was going on and they, they came up with uh, food items and blankets and what have you. And uh, so the ladies auxiliary fed those men three hot meals a day for the duration of the strike. Now also, uh, when it was discovered that uh, these men were underground trying to sleep on wooden slabs, uh, a local uh, sports store donated 31 pump-up uh, mattresses and pillows and uh, extra blankets, and that went into the men. Uh, the Coromel uh, laundromat, he came up and, and volunteered to, uh, to do all of the laundry for the men underground, not that they would need much laundry, but uh, for their family as well. And he also brought up clean underwear and, and the like, which the men of course used. There was a whole raft of people coming to, uh, to assist. The, the Leisure Coast Fruit Market and Delhi, they provided uh, food for the men underground at greatly discounted prices for the whole duration of the strike. You know, it was, it was really something. But the community went further. They all boarded a special train to take their message to Canberra and the Prime Minister Malcolm Fraser, who was refusing to meet with mining unions on the matter. The people of Wollongong, mainly the, the organised labour, decided we had to go to Canberra. 
And uh, we were fortunate in that um, the RAND government uh, provided the, the train to take the people to the, to the national capital. There was a, a meeting of the people outside the Parliament House upon learning that uh, Malcolm Fraser was refusing to talk to, uh, to the union leaders, Bob Kelly and others. Uh, the people decided, well, we better go in there and see if we can sort things out. So they brushed past the the police that were on guard at the doors, and uh, they opened the doors, and and uh, the phantom poet actually was about the third person through those doors. I know that for a fact because I was already in uh, Kings Hall uh, when they came up the steps, and as a consequence of the people taking over Kings Hall. Malcolm Fraser had a um, conversion on the on the road to Damascus, I think they call it, and he invited us in and uh, into the cabinet room. We discussed what was going on, the case that was being run on the men's behalf in the Coldenshire Tribunal, and he granted additional time. In fact, well, what he did, he said to the companies, "You're not uh, not to do anything and let this case run," and he gave us an extra two weeks to run the case. And uh, the case was run, and uh, and the result uh, came out, and all was history. While the miners didn't get everything they wanted, there were some wins. Sadly, it was uh, it was not the result that they required. Uh, that the men had uh, made a lot of commitments to a, a successful result. Uh, I was the advocate for them in the courts, and uh, I was deeply saddened by what was the final result. The final result was that. Um, that uh, retrenchment uh, pay uh, would be added into the miners' award. Severance pay uh, was also to be improved. And uh, it was on that basis that the combined mining unions uh, decided to recommend the men come from the mine. Now, the recommendation was made to the men, I think quite sincerely, that they, they were just about at the end of their tether after 15 days underground and uh, I can remember the leader of the the dispute uh, Kevin uh, Donahue saying fellas that's the best the union can do for us we'll we'll come out and that was it they came from the mine many of them never were to go back into the coal industry they were blackballed from the coal industry some of them had family breakups others had other sorts of breakups and uh, you know, I, I, I still today, all those decades, well, several decades on, think about the result and think, I wished it had been a better one. Barry Swan, an amazing story. Okay, now, while we're talking about BHP, the union had a court win recently. Basically, BHP's attempts to start their own labour hire company to undercut their own permanent staff has been dealt a legal blow. Eliza Salos is National Legal Officer with the CFMEU. The story dates back to um, October 2018 where BHP, well actually earlier than that, BHP created two shelf companies that operate um, as, well that they intended to operate as labour hire companies to provide labour to BHP run mines. They then in October 2018 um, made some enterprise agreements with a nominal workforce, a workforce uh, that they'd engaged for the purposes of making these enterprise agreements way over in the Pilbara in a non-coal mining um, 
mine. So it meant that it was only workers that had any familiarity with mining industry conditions rather than black coal mining industry conditions. They made these agreements with a handful of workers and those agreements now, a year and a half later, cover over 2,000 workers with uh, these BHP companies operation services now scaling up significantly and providing labour at most BHP coal mines uh, in both Queensland and New South Wales. I asked Eliza what made the agreements, in the words of National President Tony Ma, so dodgy. The issue at the centre of this is that an enterprise agreement is an opportunity to set the terms and conditions at a, an enterprise, a, a workplace, a site, uh, with the workers that work there. What this meant is that BHP engaged workers that wouldn't be working at the sites in at the coal mining sites over east. Instead, they engaged workers over in the west to set the conditions that would then come to cover, if the agreements were approved, come to cover all workers covered by those agreements. As I said, it's now over 2,000. Uh, and what is particularly sinister about that is that the terms and conditions of these two agreements are far below the terms and conditions that exist on the sites, uh, uh, that exist on BHP sites, uh, particularly BHP coal mining sites uh, that have been negotiated over decades of, of uh, agreement making directly with those workforces, which means essentially you're undercutting the terms and conditions of those workers by as much as 50 grand and uh, on top of that significant loss of conditions such as accident pay, which is really, when you think about decades of negotiating with your workers and that you can sidestep those obligations by a cheeky legal manoeuvre that uh, allows you to disregard your workforce entirely. But she says it's not over yet. So we have objected to the approval of these agreements since we found out they existed, which is back in 2018. They were approved uh, at first instance by a deputy president of the commission and we appealed that decision. And the full bench handed down a decision uh, earlier this month, which agreed with a number of our um, appeal points. One of which was that the boot, which is the better off overall test, which makes sure any enterprise agreement that's approved will leave a worker better off under the agreement than they would be if they were covered by the award. So finding that that test had been incorrectly applied by the commission member at first instance. There are also some issues around genuine agreement that the full bench agreed with us. uh, And that goes back to what we were discussing earlier, the idea that you can have a bunch of people engaged in an entirely different industry determining the terms and conditions of employment for people in another industry when they didn't have a stake in the agreement and they had no moral authority to agree to those terms. Now those issues are still live issues. Uh, The full bench decision quashed the initial decision to approve the agreements but there will be a rehearing and so those issues are all coming before the full bench again in the next couple of weeks and we'll look at those issues again and explore the full scope of whether the agreements passed the boot and whether the terms of the agreements were genuinely agreed to. National Legal Officer Eliza Sarlos ending the June 2020 episode of the CFMEU Mining and Energy podcast. Remember, if you like what you're hearing here, do us a favour and text your mates the link. And if you haven't already, subscribe to this podcast through your favourite podcasting app. Just search for CFMEU. But that's all for this month's episode. We'll catch you next time. Bye for now.